0: Welcome back to Tech Enabled, an AEI podcast on technology, public policy, and economic opportunity. I'm your host, John Bailey. Government services have struggled to meet the demand created by COVID-19 and the unfolding economic crisis. Online state government systems were quickly overwhelmed, leaving many individuals unable to apply for benefits. At one point, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said, we have systems that are 40 plus years old. There'll be a lot of postmortems, and one of them on our list will be, how do we get here where we need COBOL programmers? It's no longer possible to separate policy from digital delivery because it is through online services that so many of our policies are implemented. The U.S. Digital Response is a nonpartisan group with more than 5,000 volunteers that are supporting state and local government during the COVID-19 crisis. They increase the capacity of government teams to rapidly update web services and also develop open source tools that can help scale to other government agencies. We are joined in this episode by U.S. Digital Response's CEO, Raylene Young, She most recently served as a fellow with the Aspen Institute's Tech Policy Hub, and her experience has included serving as an engineering and product executive at Stripe and Facebook. Thanks so much for joining us, Raylene. First, tell us, what is the U.S. Digital Response Team?
1: Sure. Thanks for having us. So U.S. Digital Response, our goal is to help government build responsive, people-centered services with modern and resilient technology. And because we are really started and working in times of crisis, one of our biggest focus is, is how do we work at the speed of need? We do this by connecting experienced technologists with public servants and organizations who are responding to crisis. And we really work together closely with our partners to develop new tools and deliver services for the people who need them most. What's interesting is we try to move as fast as we can. We're completely free and nonpartisan and driven by volunteers.
0: That's amazing. What's the backstory? Because this is a relatively new effort that emerged during the COVID crisis. So what's the backstory of how the group came together?
1: Yeah, we're very new. Back in mid-March, our team was started by former U.S. Deputy Chief Technology Officers who had previously led federal open data policies and digital government strategies. So a lot of this wasn't new to them, but they were paired with seasoned tech industry veterans. And we all came together behind a pretty simple idea. Could we find and coordinate? some really fast and effective way to help governments respond to the crisis and kind of all the crises caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. And our goal was, how do we help local governments help the people who need it most? I think many critical government services have been affected by the pandemic, including ones that weren't immediately clear. Everything from, I think, healthcare, which was sort of most top of mind, but also as the months passed, voting and the overall impact on the social safety net All of these things were being overwhelmed and I think have really exposed a deep need and longstanding need for a more tech forward government. At the same time, there's actually no shortage of technical expertise in this country who are ready and have the skills to help. And what we saw was we saw both that desire of people in the tech industry to help and we saw the need on the government side. So U.S. Digital Response was created to really bridge that gap and to try to do so quickly and enable volunteers to really drop in and give direct and free help to governments.
0: And you yourself have a technology background too, right?
1: That's right. And I would say in the, in the origin story, I'm more on the you know, seasoned tech person side. And actually, I'm quite new to working with government. So I definitely, both through just my personal network and, and a lot of the friends and, and fellow tech industry people that have joined USDR have really enjoyed having this opportunity to help.
0: That's great. How many volunteers have signed on so far?
1: Yeah, so we really have been blown away by the interest. We have over 5,500 volunteers who raised their hands and and filled out our application form. And at the moment, we have over 260 volunteers who are actively working on projects with government partners. So yeah, it's mind-blowing after just a few months.
0: That's amazing in terms of the response from the tech community, how do you match those volunteers with the projects? That feels like a massive matchmaking challenge.
1: It definitely is. A lot of what we do is we try to figure out how to do that matchmaking really well and and kind of support the operations there. I think unlike a lot of more organic volunteer networks, we're very, very intentional about placing volunteers on projects. And the reason for that is every request that comes in is typically can be pretty sensitive, maybe working with a government team And may have a pretty critical problem in in infrastructure or something that's affecting real people. So the first thing we do is get in touch with the government team as quickly as we can. We usually respond to a request within hours. We'll sit and do a few interviews to understand the problem and gather the types of skills that the government team needs volunteers to help with. So for example, we might hear from one team that, you know, they're trying to do a large social media campaign to educate their residents about the latest rules with shelter in place, or you know, a call center is being overwhelmed by really high load. So they're looking for some technical expertise to help them scale their call center operations. So we take those notes and we take those requirements. And then we go back to that really large database I mentioned, and we basically search through it and do a series of interviews with volunteers that we find really fit that profile. And we actually ask every volunteer to sign an oath that reminds them around their responsibility is in working in the interest of the public and working with governments. So after all that, we then directly introduce the volunteers to the government teams and enable them to just partner directly.
0: That's fantastic. When you talk about government teams, are these state governments? Are they local governments? Is it governor's offices, agencies? Like, Give us a sense of like who's reaching out to you.
1: Yeah. The thing that we try to do is really just be a resource for any needs that come in, no matter how big or small. So as a result, we've worked with... Teams at all levels. So we worked with, you know, state digital service teams. We worked with state departments of labor, health and human service departments. But we've also worked with individual cities or counties on different types of projects. So it really runs the whole range.
0: Now you and the team have talked a lot about designing for extensibility. What what does that mean?
1: It can be a lot a lot of things. I think from a technical perspective, I think there's certainly the idea that we're trying to offer fast, modern technology solutions and advice. So I think we think a lot about like making sure that the data is you know, well-documented and open and exportable just to avoid things that I think can happen often historically in government technology choices around vendor lock-in and a lot of restrictions to that. So we kind of always approach with these more open, modern development principles. But I think it also means a few specific things right now for governments and in times of crisis. For one, as I mentioned, we work with a lot of government partners across the country at all levels. And what we're trying to do is, in the end, we want to get solutions out there as fast as we can. So if we see one challenge in in one state or one city, and then we realize it's actually the same problem that another state or city is facing, we try to see how we can scale out either that same solution through open source code, or even just make the same introductions and kind of share that advice across jurisdictions. So I think that really makes the work, you know, extensible from one region to another. I think another way we think about it is even for a specific government partner, you know, we understand that things are changing really rapidly right now during this crisis. So if they write in with one request one day, a few days later or a week later, the needs may have changed or they may have kind of certain things may have become more or less important. So when we find tools or set up, you know, a system in the beginning, we just make sure that things can be deployed really quickly but also updated quickly by the government teams as their own needs change.
0: Let's explore a couple of the different types of projects that you have going on right now. Talk to us a little bit about the business relief tool.
1: So I think this has been really important if you think about the impact that the crisis has had on local economies. Following the passage of the CARES Act, part of that were the release of federal stimulus funds for local business owners in the form of SBA or PPP loans. We work really closely with the state of New Jersey and their innovation team and heard that they were being flooded with questions from local business owners who just weren't sure if they qualified for these funds and how they qualified, and were writing in and calling in and really overwhelming the team with that just kind of increased load. So what we did is we really partnered with that team to build a really easy to use and understandable 10-minute quiz that we posted online. And any small business owner could come to that quiz and quickly determine which programs they're eligible for And we give them links and tips on how to actually access those loans. Also, because we know that small business owners were really seeing this across the country in all states, we built the tool to be really robust and open source. And it was very, very easily adaptable to other states. So while we started with New Jersey, because it was a federal program, we made the tool open to all states from day one. And in addition, have kind of been open to partner with any state that needs it to customize it for their needs. So after New Jersey, we customized it as well and adopted it for California. And now we can set it up for any new state within a few days.
0: That's amazing. So important too, given I mean the complexity, as you were mentioning, with organizations, nonprofits, as well as like small businesses trying to figure out if they were eligible and how much they were eligible for. Super great. Talk a little bit about digital benefits delivery. What's the work that you're doing there?
1: Yeah, I think this is very related to the kind of CARES Act, but also just in general, in addition to the specific COVID nineteen benefits, there are many benefits that people rely on and, and need to access at all times. And you know, before the pandemic, a typical applicant might have to go into an office for an in-person interview and talk to a caseworker and you know print out documents that could be used to validate their identity. With COVID, all of these things became incredibly difficult, if not impossible. So this is another project that we started with New Jersey that was to help them help their SNAP applicants actually apply for benefits fully online. So this was a, an interesting s- challenge where a few things had to happen. For one, you know New Jersey was able to remove the requirement for an in-person interview. So that was important. And applicants were actually asked to mail in required documents. But even that wasn't necessarily that easy. You had to photocopy or print documents, and it might add a lot of time that you know would kind of just slow everything down. So once again, this is where we partnered with the New Jersey Office of Innovation and we're tried to figure out if there was a way to allow applicants to do all of this digitally from the comfort and safety of their own homes. So in this case, within three days, we actually built a document uploader prototype that allowed residents to submit their documents online right away. And this greatly reduced obviously the the time to apply, but also enabled the New Jersey teams to handle the cases much faster. And now at this point, I think it's been extended to allow you to easily verify not only proof of identity and residence, but also proof of wages. And it's given caseworkers just finer grained access, and then they can look at documents like per county. And we also help them configure better granular access and, and privacy controls.
0: How are you helping states and their citizens with tracking grants and stimulus spending?
1: Yeah, so. As part of all these benefits projects, we also, because we work with government teams so closely, we also thought about the other side of things, like not just the residents applying for benefits, but the state and county employees who actually need to administer those funds and and be able to distribute money from the CARES Act. So this was a project that helped, that tried to help the states and counties both efficiently apply for those grants, but also create easy ways to provide transparency and accountability To people who might be wondering how all that money is spent. What this was, we we started with looking at the federal guidelines that were set for reporting for CARES grants, including a lot of requirements around matching funds or just kind of the reports required and, and all of the process there. And we started working with two states, Rhode Island and Ohio, to develop really easy to use online portal, just a free software tool that we gave those two states to identify, apply for, and monitor the status of their CARES Act grant applications. You know, again, we tried to move really quickly here and within about a week we we're able to deploy these tools for each of these states. And it's based on previous federal recovery act requirements from previous stimulus grants and includes features like identifying cl- grants, tracking the clearance, approving them and, and reporting on the eventual spending. So this is another way that we took something that was really manual and, and probably slow. And, yeah. and you know, any time that's added to that grant approval, I think prevents the money from being used to deliver services. So this kind of saved that time and money and also had the bonus of, of being easier to use for transparency.
0: Amazing. Just reducing and eliminating the friction almost entirely for for that kind of work. Speaking of friction, I mean, obviously, COVID testing is just a huge priority for governors, for mayors. It's such a critical part of reopening the economy and getting businesses reopened, as well as other organizations like schools and colleges and whatnot. How have you been working to help governments with testing?
1: Yeah, I think testing has been something that's been super critical and also very dynamic throughout the last few months. You know, there's been different things around like amount of testing capacity available and where testing sites should be located and how people, residents can find out where they are. So there's been a kind of a lot of things that have come up over the past few months. A few weeks ago, we worked really closely with the city of Seattle to actually support a new testing effort that they were spinning up in order to support reopening. So Seattle was one of the first major US cities to really take on the public health crisis with COVID. They really saw that it was spreading quietly due to the lack of testing. So as they reopened, they worked pretty hard in in a partnership with a local university and private companies to basically source a lot more free tests for the residents. And so they did that and they'd set up new testing sites and did all the operations for it. But then the challenge was how do you actually facilitate an easy way for residents to find out where the testing sites were and make appointments online and kind of show up for those appointments. So there was a technical component that they they needed assistance with. So we partnered with Seattle and actually did a survey of existing tools out there that helped you do this kind of online scheduling and booking process. And we did, you know, kind of a hackathon in a way over a few days, just rapidly evaluating and, and looking at tools. And ended up connecting them to this this company called Solve Health, which actually launches free testing sites that work really well. And so within a you know a few days to a few weeks, and now Seattle has a few free testing sites up and running and are able to do thousands of tests per day, which is pretty amazing because those those all just came line very quickly. I think the other thing we're seeing with testing is you know, Seattle's not unique in this regard. Many cities and states are looking at how they can spin up these testing sites really rapidly and make them easy to find and easy to book online. So we're already talking to two other places about how we might be able to support them
0: with a very similar approach. There's obviously, you could see how other cities would be interested in it. Would you ever do that too for organizations? Like would a could a college work with this or other types of like large organizations that have to process a bunch of people?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. We do work with other organizations. I think right now our focus is on helping deliver government services, but we've also worked with organizations that do that as well and like work with governments. The nice thing is even if we aren't helping directly with volunteers, we really try to kind of open source or share all of the the recipes and the, the playbooks around how we're doing all of this. So when people get in touch, we're more than happy to just share all the work that we did. And and we've had actually one of our earlier projects, we obviously we're focused right now in the US, but we we set up this system that we open sourced and we saw that there were cities in Canada and India who had adapted it for their own use too. So we're really happy when I think the work gets used more.
0: You had mentioned SNAP benefits before. One of the, the areas that's been seeing a slow but very steady growth is states using pandemic EBT benefits. This was flexibility and some authority given underneath CARES Act that states are slowly coming online. How are you helping with that? Because there's obviously huge implementation issues with getting that benefit put in place.
1: Definitely, I think it's both you know circularly important, given that it's, it's really feeding children who need food and, and don't have the same access to it. As you mentioned, there are a lot of uh, just inherent problems around states not having enough data to match qualifying households, and the applications being difficult to navigate. So, in this case, we've been partnering with Code for America. Who's actually leading the charge on providing and building a much more kind of easier to use online application and enrollment website for pandemic EBT? So in this case, we're we're helping to support their work when you know we're partnering in terms of our volunteer network and bringing more advice when needed. And they are working with the state of California already and actually went live a few weeks ago. And these numbers are so staggering. But within one day, over four hundred thousand students applied. And within the first week of launch a few weeks ago, over 1.3 million kids were enrolled. So I think the need has been pretty tremendous. And we're more here trying to support Code for America's efforts, especially as we are offering the same help and really free technical assistance to any other state that wants to follow along with what California did here and bring that same level of PEBT accessibility to their own state.
0: One of the other big challenges that COVID illuminated is that as economies were shut down, as businesses were shut down, you had this surge of people who were filing for unemployment insurance and benefits, and a lot of state systems were crashing around the country. You had New York that was trying to control the volume by saying, if your last names began with certain letters, apply on this day, and other people apply on this other day. Why have the UI systems struggled so much under COVID, and how are you helping to strengthen some of these systems?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think this is something we've just all probably seen in the news for months at this point, just the kind of huge amounts and unprecedented load that states are seeing on their UI systems. You know, there's there's a lot of things happening at once here. I'd say one thing I, I think we all have is, is so much empathy for the government teams that are, are looking at these large loads. I think if you just look at historical data, these are unprecedented spikes in in volume. These numbers almost seem fake, but it's In Kansas, the Department of Labor saw a five thousand percent increase in traffic overnight. I think as putting my private sector tech hat on, there aren't that many systems that easily scale if you see a five thousand percent increase in one day. So I think there is there's a lot that should be improved and there's a lot of old systems there, but I also think a lot of this is how do we help government teams like face these unprecedented challenges. So that's been our approach. I think we've worked with around six states at this point, and, and with each case there are a lot of different things happening depending on the the specific system so with kansas you know as i mentioned that huge 5% 5000% increase really made the response times like go way down and and they just didn't have the capacity to answer that many requests at once and so there were long delays and the ui site crashed and people were trying to call in which then created more issues so what we did was we we did a Deep dive with their tech team and just understood what was happening, and, and really just asked a bunch of questions and offered our help. And in this case, part of the solution was connecting them with a content delivery network service called Cloudflare, and we just helped them set it up, which kind of put this layer in front of the site and really helped cut down their average page load times. So in that case, this was more of like a, a bit of a tactical fix that we were able to bring the site back up in hours, and so that kind of reduced one one of the bottlenecks that they were running into that's just one example. I think in each of the states that we've worked with, it has been a wide range of things. In some cases, it's been trying to help advise on, on issues they were seeing in their COBOL mainframe backend systems. In others, it was more like the Kansas case where it was actually putting better routing up front. And in some states, it was a lot around call center operations where we were just trying to help give advice on how to do the routing, like you described, where sometimes it's Probably there are better ways than just asking people to self, you know, pick days to apply. And instead there were tools that we could do to help route people to better channels of help or sort of different types of, of call center
0: support. Love it. I mean, given that experience and just frankly, all the experiences that you're gaining from the projects that US digital response team members are working on, what are some of your your top learnings? Right now you have the attention of policymakers in a way that's like very difficult to get and that they're all realizing that in this crisis, they have to really do better with digital service delivery. What are your top learnings and what would be some of your your best advice given to governors and, and mayors as they're trying to drive this work forward?
1: Yeah. I think one huge learning, and, and we've seen it both from our, our own volunteers and the government's teams that we work with, is I think government... And tech can move really quickly. I think there's a bit of a feeling that it has to take a long time. And th- there are a lot of steps that may normally be required around procurement and evaluation. But I think we've seen that you can you can actually move really quickly, especially when motivation is there and, and you're able to evaluate new tools and get them integrated. I think existing, I think another thing is just there are so many existing tools out there. I think we we live in a time when technology is is really flourishing and there's so many tools and companies that exist. To solve these problems. And a lot of it is, can they be adapted quickly? Can they be found and used for a government purpose? And I think that's where we're trying to help is really that discovery and scaling and integration process. I think similarly, a lot of these solutions, even ones that need to scale really quickly and be sustained, don't require a really large, long-term, super extensive custom build. I think we don't, we no longer need to do that with a lot of the off-the-shelf tools that we have. In terms of advice and, and something we've seen maybe I would say we've seen from some of the teams that we've worked with that have been doing amazing jobs government teams but the first one is around this idea of procurement and identifying software that's suitable for government use i think there's still a lot of barriers to that to finding a lot of new modern tools that can be adapted quickly and i think there's there's a lot to do with just reforming and challenging the current procurement process the second one is building local capacity something that i love about Our volunteers. And what we do is we are really following the lead of the government teams. And we we really just try to partner and provide support. And in the areas where there's been an in-house digital service or innovation team for us to work with, we just see the progress and the impact just kind of happen extremely quickly. And so I think, how do we get more technologists into government, but also have government agencies see the need and recognize for that and really proactively try to build that capacity? And I think finally... We talked a lot about the software and the tools here, but there's a whole other side that's about the policy itself. Like the examples I gave around New Jersey removing the requirement for an in-person interview. I think we're going to see this ripple across all of government services. Like if you think about jury selection, like packing hundreds of people in a crowded room to interview them one by one probably does not need to be the way that you do this in, in a modern environment, especially with a pandemic. So I think there's an opportunity to think about the actual processes and requirements and policies that are driving a lot of this service delivery and think instead about how to make things more iterative just from a policy perspective. I think that helps tools become a lot more effective as well.
0: Such great advice. I mean, particularly, again, at this moment where the need is so great and is likely to just keep growing in many ways as this recovery is going to be with us for at least the next couple of months, but most likely the next couple of years. Last question. If... Someone with a technology background wants to volunteer, or if you have a government agency at a governor's office or a mayor that wants to try to engage some of your volunteers, what are the best way for those different types of groups to to reach out to you?
1: The easiest and and kind of fastest way is just to go to our website, usdigitalresponse.org. And there's a lot of information there around directly signing up to volunteer through an application form and a request help form for government agencies where they can fill out the information directly. And the neat thing is, you know, once someone fills that out, especially on the government side, we will certainly look at it and respond within 24 hours. So it can happen pretty quickly. I think that's the best way. But we also have an email as well to write in if you're ever unsure. And it's just info at usdigitalresponse.org.
0: That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much just for taking time with us today, but also for all the incredible work you're doing to assist government, but most importantly, just to help people who desperately need this help during this time. So appreciate you and appreciate all the work that your volunteers are doing.
1: Thank you so much.